All right, welcome to episode 63 of the Bobbycast. And with Jesse Alexander. Hello, Jesse. Hello. I have a lot of clips up here. What I like to do when we start this is just kind of run through these, and we'll come back. We'll come okay. back to them. But let's see. These are some Jesse Alexander songs that you may know. Here's I Drive Your Truck from Lee Bryce. Mike D. Thank you. How about this one? Is this the one? It's no? the one. It's definitely the one for country music with the climbs. That the and, I, and I'll come back. That's the first time I ever saw you play, uh, you play the climb. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the climb. Holy that's, cow. That's the one. Miley the climb. There's always going to be another mountain. I'm always going to want to make it move. Always going to be in a big battle. Sometimes I'm going to have to lose. Look at this. Blake Shelton, mine would be you. Mine would be you. Sun kiss shining back road flying. Drink on it. I think you and I should just drink on it. One of my bestest friends, Eric Pasley, song about a girl. Yes. It's a song about a girl. A song now that's climbing the charts, Morgan Wallen, the way I talk. It sounds a little bit like my daddy. Don't dress around my mama. Got some words you never heard unless you come from down down. The man upstairs gets it, so I ain't trying to fix it. No, I can't hide it. I don't fight it. I just roll with it. Oh, I'm, I'm going to come back to these, but I like people to have an idea of the brilliance they're about to listen to. Thank like, you. So they know. So you and I, uh, I'll tell you the first time I ever saw you. Okay. So I was... Um, I do a lot with St. Jude. Yes. And I was at the St. Jude Country Cares. And normally I can't stay the whole weekend because of work. Mm-hmm. But it was the one time I got to stay. And it was you. And I think your husband was out there yep. too. And John Oates, was it? Yeah. Uh, and John Oates was there John too. John Oates and somebody else. Uh, I can't remember. Frank Sinatra. Yes. That's mm-hmm. exactly. an amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing round. So you're up there. I didn't know you were. I didn't know who anybody was. I still don't know who people are for the most part. And I was like, she started telling the story about the climb. And I was like, whoa, she wrote the climb? Like, I love that song. And then I started thinking, you know what? The climb does kind of feel like a country song. It, totally. So when you wrote the climb, first of all, did you write it in LA or did you write it in Nashville? I wrote it here. I've been writing songs for nine years as a published songwriter. Nine years. Been writing songs, trying to get cuts. They've been paying you for nine, nine years. Nine years. Yeah. So. Uh, that song was really written, you know, out of frustration. I mean, you listen to the lyrics, I'm really talking to myself. You know, we, me and John May, uh, my co-writer, are both really underdogs at that time. We both, neither have had, I'd had cuts, you know, I'd had like Trisha Yearwood cuts, Patty Loveless, whatnot, but I'd never had like a song on the radio that really was doing, doing something. And it's like, my mentor told me, he's like, it's almost like you'd been hitting, swinging for so long. And then finally, when the ball hit the bat, it just... It went, and I just I couldn't believe it. I remember Miley seeing her at the BMI Awards, and she said, we're about to go five formats with this song. And I was like, no, you don't understand. That doesn't happen for me. So I've been here nine years. Like, that doesn't happen. I'm wondering how a song goes from Nashville in a writing room there, and it lands in Miley's hands. It's a great uh, story, actually. Um, so I was writing at Disney at the time. I was in my probably first or second year there, and... My publisher, Lisa Ramsey, found out that they were coming here to make that Hannah Montana, the movie, here in Nashville. And she's like, wait a minute, you're going to come here to Nashville and you're not going to use any of the Nashville songs and songwriters? Because at that time, all the Disney franchise stuff was basically written out of L.A. 
So she like found the director, Peter Chisholm, and talked him into coming to our office in Nashville while they were scouting locations. And we literally put on like an old school picking like with guitars. Like we just played songs that we loved. And he was taken by my voice and, you know, just we hit it off. And he said, would you please just make me a CD and, you know, put some songs on there. And I thought, oh, my God, this is my moment. And I didn't have anything. It, the song that we wrote was called It's the Climb. It was a guy song. John Mabe was singing it. It was a little more spiritual. But he called us like a week later and said, if you'll rewrite the song, I'm, I'm going to rewrite the whole movie around this song. If and, you'll rewrite the song. Yeah. What does that mean if you'll Because I had written it more, it, it had lines like, these prayers you're praying. You know, it was very much more spiritual. It was more adult. You got to remember, Miley Cyrus was 15 you're at right. that time. So we did, we rewrote it and sent it back. And he was like, you don't understand. Like she's going to be, she's going to be writing this song in the movie. Like this is going to be part of the movie, the whole movie. But I still didn't believe him. I just thought, no, there's going to be some LA writer that's going to beat me, you know, be into this song. Someone's going to write a better song. Is that because so many times you get told something at the last minute? Yes. By that point, I was so used to no that a yes, I, I couldn't even understand that. And, um, it was so odd to have something so much about my struggle be the thing that gives me success. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Like, how does that happen? You know, and it was just such a blessing just to watch my dreams come true. And now I get to see, you know, people on, the, on American Idol sing it. I've seen, you know, I've had letters from people that use that during chemo treatments or ran a marathon to my daughter sing it at her pre-K graduation. You know, it's just, it's like this song that... People have taken so personally. I love the song. I played it because I was on pop radio at the time. I played it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I had no idea you were influenced in my life. See, even then. Uh, so I have uh, the climb. Is this her singing it, Mike? Okay, this is you. Oh, singing. Me and Chris Stapleton. Is is that what this is? Yeah. Well, and here Morgan, we. Chris and Morgan. Here we go. So it's gonna be another mountain. Hold on. What is this from? This sounds amazing. I made a record, Bobby. With that song. Yes. After Miley put it out? Yes. Why don't you tell me I would have bought it? I should have brought one. When did you make this record? Like a couple of years ago. Dirks is singing Mine Would Be You With Me. Dang. Okay, hold on. Let me hear this. Let me tell you if it's any good. Hold on. Let me listen. Who's on this track? This is uh, Chris Stapleton and Morgan Stapleton and me. Okay. There's always going to be another mountain. Always going to want to make it move. Always going to be an uphill battle. Sometimes I'm going to have to Such a good song. These prayers I'm praying, chances I'm taking. Did you go back and make the original version on your record? I just kind of I sang it the way we wrote it. Um, This whole record that I made is really acoustic. Um, People will come hear me play and they'll say, "Gosh, I love your version of I Drive Your Truck. It's so different coming from a female's perspective." So when I made this record, I wanted them to have a Bluebird experience. Like, literally, I want them to walk away after just seeing me play the Bluebird and put it in and be like, that's exactly what I just heard. So the common denominator is me and a guitar, my husband and a guitar, and Richard Bennett. It was very sparse the way we recorded it. But on every song, there's a special guest. Like, Cheryl Crow sings 
on it, Charlie Warsham, um, Will Hogue. Like, I've got all my friends singing kind of the special feature of the song. Man. So I'll bring you one. I need, I'll just download it when you leave. Okay. I don't even have a disc play. I don't have a disc hole. <laughs> you have a disc hole in your life? No. I don't have a disc hole either. No. For any, so I have a, do you have a bunch of CDs laying around? Oh yeah. People yeah. give me CDs all the time. Like, I don't know what to do with this. What's the, what's the name of the record? I feel so ignorant. It's called I'm, Down Home, um, because me and Brothers Osborne wrote a song on their record. They, they recorded it as well. Um, but Christopherson's on there. And there's some really cool songs that I wrote for the record. Man, look at you. I I remember the first time meeting you, I was intimidated to talk to you. I told you this. I was like, I'm such a big fan because I saw you play, and then I, I knew what you had written because I'm such a songwriter geek. And I was, and you were really nice to me. And not nice is in nice. You were very friendly. You were very warm. There's a difference in nice and warm. And you were very warm to me. And I was like, man, people aren't warm to me because everybody's like either scared because they, they, I'm going to get on the radio and say something about them. Yeah. Or they just don't like me because I said something about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have said something about me. No, I if know. I did, it was awesome. I said, uh, I want to hear. Okay, so let's. Okay. My, if Miley the Climb. That's that was my introduction to that, you. That was the one. What's the third clip of this mic over here? There's one in black and white. Okay. 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 We did that one. So I drive your truck, Lee Bryce. I drive your truck. I mean, that one won, won everything. Yeah. I mean, that's. Did that because I wonder with the Miley song inside of our little bubble here in Nashville if that really made you like whoa she's because I wouldn't think it would it didn't it was very surreal because you know I'm a Nashville songwriter I grew I, I grew up you know wanting to write country songs like he stopped loving her today that's my bar you know so you know I'll, I'll be honest I don't listen to a lot of pop radio I wasn't influenced by pop radio so it was so weird to have a number, you know, one song on pop radio and, num- and 14 weeks at number one on AC and all these formats that I didn't really listen to. And, and other countries too. Other countries. That's like, the it thing was too with so the Miley. Surreal. Yeah. yeah. And so it, you're right. Like I thought it would open all these doors in Nashville, but really what happened was it was almost like all these A&R people and people that had been looking at me all these years. It was almost like they went, oh, see, she should have been doing that. Oh, you know what I mean? The, you got the opposite. It was, effect. it was, and it really kind of messed with me too. Like, well, maybe I should have been writing female songs all this time. Like, maybe you know, it was a head trip, and it took two years. It was kind of this crash, you know. It was like this high having the song, and then nothing else happened. And it was because that's not the kind of writer I'm, I am, you know. Because Disney was like, you got to go to L.A. You got to write. You know, I got to write with some incredible L.A. writers, but I got out there and was like, this isn't. I'm a Nashville songwriter. What's the difference? A lot of friends go out and they write in L.A. And they always come back. And they're like, eh, not for me. But what's the difference yeah. in an L.A. write and a Nashville write? I think it's just the like craftsmanship. You know, I'm, I'm raised on hooks and, you know, uh, lyrics, basically. I mean, that's everything for me. A lyric. And um, out there, it's like, you know, you're bringing that to the party. But it's all happening so fast. The way they write so different. I'm very 16th Avenue, you know. I grew up wanting to be Harlan Howard and those kind of writers. So I think they knew I was an imposter too, you know? But they come here now because they want to get away from that environment. Yeah. You know, I remember Aloe Black coming to the studio and, and he said, I don't know if you know Aloe at all. Mm-mm. He said, um, you know, he's an R&B singer. And he was like, I came here because people really write songs here. Yeah. And I think, and I'm just paraphrasing him. He's like, in LA, they just kind of churn out music. Yeah. In Nashville, they write songs. We craft. We're craftsmen. I mean, we, we're making the finest cabinets you can make or the finest shoes. Like, we don't 
we're going deeper than the surface. Um, and I, I respect pop music so much, like, you know, the way, what they can do with the melodies and tracks and, and lyrics, but it's just, you know, I grew up on country music and certain kinds of songs. So that's my bar. Um, and so what happened was I had to reinvent myself, believe it or not, after 2010 going into 2011, after I'd had this huge song, um, I had to re change everything. And that's when, you know, I was writing female songs. I wasn't getting anything recorded. And I remember thinking, I've got to just start writing men's songs. It's really not that hard. I love men's songs. I grew up on men's songs, you know. So my first coming back to that was one of the first co-writes of that year was Rodney Clawson, and we wrote Drink on it. And that was, I had to prove myself why I'm a girl being in a man's room. You know, I had to re... Yep, I should just drink on it. Rodney Clawson married Nicole. to Nicole. She was here yeah. two weeks ago. So, so you and Rodney write this. We wrote that um, with John Randall, my husband, and it was like, finally, I was like, yes, you know, I've got a man song. I mean, yeah, that's what I needed to then kick into Mine With You and I Drive Your Truck. Well, let's talk about this one for a second. So you write Drink on it, and when do you know that, one, Blake has put it on hold, because it's a process, put it on hold, Yes. then cut it, then it's a single... Like, walk me through those steps. Okay, this is a great story, actually. You know, me and Blake Shelton have been friends for a long time. Um, but he's very cryptic and mysterious when he's uh, when he's going into cut. So I didn't even know they cut it until two days after they cut it. Wow, really? Yes. And, you know, believe... Actually, me and Rodney, I mean, we, are, we liked the song. We all, you know, high-fived and stuff. But it wasn't like, that's a smash, you know? So we recorded it, and then he recorded it, and... They put it on hold, right? They put I mean, it. They, yeah, you're right. You they put it on hold. hold. I, I, but I, it was still just like holds a hold. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that term. We say it all the time. Like, I get holds, you know, but it cuts. It's a big leap between a hold and a cut. And um, so he records it, and then he. I was pregnant with our twins. He asked me to come sing on it because I sang on the demo, and that was a really cool experience. Um, and then um, the wait is. Am I going to get a single? Because in my world, if you don't have a single, then, you know, it's really hard to make a living now with, you know, a piracy and everything. So um, the day before I went in to deliver the twins, I get an email from Scott Hendricks, which is his producer and like label head. And he said, just want you to go in knowing that you have the next Blake Shelton single. And so I have brand new babies <laughs> and I had a song go number one for two weeks, one for each twin. And they don't go number one for two weeks very often. Right. Like that's actually a big deal. It was huge. So this song. Girl, I thank you and I should just drink on it. Put her heads was it the first single off the record? Or- no. I can't remember what was before it. It was maybe third or fourth single. So do you start to wonder after yes. the first one and someone like, oh, am I going to get... And you're yes. probably already listening to that going, well, this song's probably going to be the single and not not, totally. not ours. Totally. And so you get the... And then do you believe it, though, right when you get the email? Or do you still think and have that kind of neurosis of, oh, I wonder if somebody's going to change their mind? I still go through that, but I have a lot of... Now, I mean, you know, I've got faith that you know, I'm, I'm supposed to... Now I feel like these songs are supposed to be heard. And sometimes, you know, like Drive Your Truck and those songs, they're, it's like they're bigger than me. So I mean, I, had a, I was really scared of that one. That was the third single. That re- the song had already been released on the album, 
And I remember us thinking, gosh, someone's going to rewrite that title or that concept, you know, we're sweating it. And he came with woman like you and then he came with hard to love. Now you're on, I drive your truck. I'm sorry. Yes. But it, I mean, yeah, we, we, I'm worried right now of songs I have out, you know, that, you know, when are they going to release it? And they may never. So let me talk about express pros for one second. Did you know the average number of people who apply for any given job is 118 people applying for every job? So if you're applying for it, basically you're up against 117 other people. Only 20% of those applicants get an interview because many companies use software to screen out applications before anyone even sees your resume. Simply uploading your resume won't get you a job. You need to hire an advocate. Express Employment Professionals is the local resource to help you land a job. Express has more than 18,000 jobs available weekly. When you interview at Express, they assess your skills, they connect you with available jobs, they team you up in your job search. Manufacturing, accounting, customer service, sales, distribution, information, technology. Are you tired of applying and not hearing back? View your locally owned Express office today and speak with professionals connected to the available jobs in your community. Express never charges a job seeker to find employment. Visit ExpressPros.com and go today. ExpressPros.com. Apply online. ExpressPros.com or visit an office near you today. Okay, so I do want to talk about. Um, see, I have a lot of. No- I have some notes here. Okay. How about let's just talk about Lee Bryce for a second? And, and this wasn't the first single from the record. No, it was the third. Third single. The biggest. This was. His, this is his career song. Like, I mean, not easily. This is his career song. You know what's always awkward, and I don't. You don't have to deal with this because you're the writer of the song. But you know what's awkward for an artist because this is such a powerful song, is that Lee or artist A will go places, and people don't know that songwriters right. write songs a lot of the time for the artist. Not all the time, most of the time. And so, do you know how many times he was asked, "Hey, when you wrote this song," and he had to be like. I didn't really write. I didn't write the song. How does that make you feel? That's a. It's a really. Listen, I'm lucky enough that I know better because I have friends that are songwriters. Right. But I don't. Most people don't because it's just not a thing that's put out there. I know. I think that that's why I was horrible at being an artist because I've never really wanted to be in the front. So it actually makes me. Just kind of smile inside, knowing that you know it doesn't offend me. I mean, people thought Miley wrote that song, you know, and they think every artist writes every song. And so, and I get that. Do you feel awkward though for Lee? Mm, I don't. I mean, he's been so he's been so supportive, but I can see because he is a good songwriter. He needs to be supportive. That's the biggest song of his career. I know. I mean, that changed it. He had hits, but but there are career songs. Yeah, you know, just in the past few years, uh, T. Rat, Die Happy Man. That's a career song. Um. I mean, even for, I mean, Sam's had a few, but this last one, Body Like a Back Road, it's going to cross over and go, this, that's Huge. his career song. That's Lee's career song. Yeah. And that's what put him, so you go and you win, because I remember watching the award. You won what with that song? Does, ACM and CMA and NSAI. Did, in NSAI, actually my friend's like the president, Lee. Yeah, Lee. So do you ever, do you go and talk? Like in DC, I used to a lot. Like, yeah, I kind of did. A, I did a lot of those. And you're so smart. Like I'm gonna, do, songs. I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna do it again. But yeah, you write. You sing. Uh, you go testify in front I of. I testify. I do. So you write. Okay, I want to know about the process of I drive your truck. This is a great story. Okay, Connie Harrington, who I'd written a ton of songs with. Okay, you gotta remember, this is the era where I was 
overriding female songs. If I never, so you've switched it by now. I'm done. Is, you're done. I'm, I'm, I've gone bro. I'm like, I'm a dude. I'm like, I'm walking in the door. I'm thinking like a man. I've got to make a living. I've got three kids. I mean, that's literally all. That's where my headspace was. So Connie and I, even looking at the book that day, thinking, well, me and Connie, we're gonna write a female song. You know, um, she. She has her all these notes. She always has all these great song ideas. And she came to this one, and she couldn't even talk about it because she started crying. And I knew that was the one we were going to write. She finally gets out. Okay, she's driving home from Dixon, Tennessee to Nashville. She's listening to NPR. And she kind of hears the middle of this interview. It's a father talking about his son who he'd lost in Afghanistan. And the interviewer says, well, what are you going to do to honor your son? And he just says, I don't know, man. I guess I'm just going to go drive his truck today. Connie, being the amazing songwriter she is, pulls over with post-it notes and starts taking down everything she can about this truck. And that's all she had. She, I mean, it wasn't, I don't even know if it was really that title. It's just the concept. And I just remember thinking, we just can't mess this up. This is so important. Grief, something that I've dealt with a lot in my life. I've always wanted to write a song about grief, being on the other side, you know, being the, the, the person that has to deal with, you know, that. And it was instantly like, we're just writing, writing, writing all these, you know, things about this truck. My grandma kept my granddaddy's truck in Jackson, Tennessee, where I'm from parked. And when I go home for the summers, I'd go get in his truck. And it was always like mint condition to wait the way he left it. So a lot of those images, the change in the ashtray and, you know, the ball cap, all that's my, a lot coming from my granddaddy. But we really both felt like if we don't get a man in here to sing this and help us write this from a man's point of view, then we can mess it up. And that's when, you know, I feel like, you know, God intervened and it's like, we could have picked any guy. I mean, any, you know, any songwriter. But Jimmy Eury was the right guy. He walked in, we called him, gave him the idea and, and rebooked another session. And he had him a lot of it started going, you know, with those lyrics. And when we finished it, we all just wept. I mean, literally it was just, I've never had an experience like that as a songwriter. And, um, our fearless leader, Rusty Gatson, who's our publisher, he's the guy that goes and then has to get the song recorded. He had a meeting with Lee Bryce and Lee said to him, don't play me any ballads. I only want tempo show openers. And Rusty said, well, I don't have that, but I have song of the year. And he plays him, I drive your truck and lead like looks up afterwards. He has tears rolling down his face. And he said, really, I get to have that song. And Rusty said, yep. And so that's when the waiting game, I mean, that's, you know, we've basically had our baby, but we're waiting, you know, or we've made a baby waiting for it to be delivered, you know, and that's the hardest part. And so, you know, it comes out, it's everything we want it to be. When you hear it yeah. the first time. Oh gosh. Like, yeah. how did you feel? Because you hadn't heard the finished project yet. Like, pride beyond pride. Like, yeah. it's your baby. It's like this, the greatest feeling in the world for a songwriter. And to know that that dad somewhere might hear it. Where did you hear it the first time? On the radio? No. Um, I, I feel like Lee called us in to hear it. Because usually that's how it happens. And I remember us just feeling like he nailed it. Like his vocal and his demographic people he sings to every night, these are those people, you know? And it was just incredible. I, man, I could be wrong about this because I'm just going from memory. There were people who passed on the song, right? Definitely. did Dirks pass on it? Yes, and he, he, he was the first person I pitched it to because Dirks is a good friend of mine. 
and he had just like literally days before written home and he but you know what he did this is what a great guy is like I'm sending this to Kenny Chesney for you I'm sending I think he might even send it to Aldine um but we this is where you know faith comes in play and just these songs they will come through if they are meant to I mean I have to believe that if not I'll go crazy you know <laughs> here you are singing it here here's uh, Jesse singing it I drive your truck who's this with you JR my Roll husband every window down and I burn up every back road in this town I find a field I tear it up till all the pains cloud of dust just sometimes I drive you true. So what happened with the artist thing? Like you sing, you look the part, you write the part. Yeah. Did, what What happened? I think, I truly think that there might have been some like self, I don't know, like maybe I didn't, I, I, there was some part of me that didn't want it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Do you feel like most of you, did you try to want it? Not really. I mean, I'm very passionate. I like put everything I got into something. So I know that if I really had wanted that, I would have gone hard for it. So why'd you come to town? I came to town to make a living for real. I mean, like I'd worked every day, weird job, subway, car auction, Sears. I mean, like you name it in a small town, I did it. Um, And truly just the thought of, I quit college, first of all. I went to MTSU for four years and my professor pulled me aside one day and said, you need to quit school. I mean, I was playing in bar bands and singing out at night. And I just wanted to be, I didn't know what I wanted to be, a harmony singer, songwriter. I mean, I didn't know. I just knew that there was literally no major for me. There was no diploma. I mean, I, I'm not really good at anything else. So I would just, you know, quit, I quit school and moved here. And within days, I got my first backup singing gig. And who was that for? It was a great artist. Um, his name's Matt King. And he, at the time, was on Atlantic. And, I mean, I was literally on a bus to Beaumont two, na- two or three days after moving here. Whenever that happens and it's so quick, do you think, well, this is just how it happens? I think It was kind of a fairy tale. And then there was the hard fall. You know, it was like I was on the road for like two years with him. And then I came home and I was like, now get back in line. You know? And that's when people started to hear my songs that I was writing. They're like, why aren't you an artist? And I had a lot of great people around me going, you should be an artist. But the problem was at that time, there wasn't Americana. There was, you had two extremes. You're either a country, you know, Nashville country artist, singer, or you're like Lucinda Williams, you know? There wasn't um, a Casey Musgraves, you know? There wasn't Chris Stapleton. There, no one's done that really. And I didn't fit in either. I have very commercial sensibilities and I also have artistic, you know, so I was always riding that line. But beyond all that, I think I would have gotten bored being an artist, singing the same song every night. That's why I love my job is I like to get in every day. I'm like, are we going to write the blues today? Are we going to write bluegrass? Are we going to write country? Like, you know, it's more exciting for me to be on in the back. Did you write today? I did. What kind of song did you write? I wrote, um, like, sounds like Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, literally. And it's, I mean, this is wild. Who did you write with? Uh, Matt Dragstrom and Josh Osborne. I saw Josh the other night. At uh, I guess I saw everybody during CMA week. Yeah, and which like was nice. two days ago, yesterday I wrote with Tony Lane and Travis Denning wrote one of the country songs I've ever written. 
I mean, I love that. When you're writing that, and I don't know what the song is, but yeah. you, you, you write a Pink Floyd type yeah. song. Where do you expect that to land? Or is it just you're in a room and you're feeling it and it's just a seed that you throw out and hope that it catches something? It's, I mean, it's so scary. Like, because you can think, well, wasted it a day. I don't know. I mean, we just, I just have to show up. I mean, that's kind of my motto is, you know, I'm not very strategic, but I'll outwork. You know, I can, I can work. I can work and I can, you know, bring heart and soul to, to it. That's really all I know. Beyond that, I have to really lean on other people to be like, this is Aldine. This is, you know, if we do this, it'll be Dirks. The only artist I feel like I have luck really steering it is Blake. I don't know why. I just. Well, probably because you have two humongous hits from Blake. Yeah. And like pretty much and other song, every and other record, cuts. you know, the last, I think four records I've had, you know, two songs recorded. Like we just speak the same language. And um, you know him though. And I know too. him. And, and you know him. It's just, he's as a male artist, he's kind of my voice. Do you know Blake well enough to send him a song yourself? Oh, all the time. We wrote two songs on this last, his last record, and we just wrote one for his new record. Okay, so you, you email him straight up, oh, yeah. and you won't go through the proper channels, and you'll just be like, hey, wrote this. Oh, yeah. Do you get your feelings hurt if he's like, eh, not for me? No. Because um, we have like kind of a thing where if he doesn't reply, then he passes. That's fine. But I'd never send him something. I mean, I send probably three, you know, Mine Would Be You might have been the only song I sent him for that record. In this record that he just made, I sent him maybe two songs and he cut one of them. Like I, I, pretty I, bad I know, I know his the way his mind works. And mine would be you, man. That was a jam too. I, of all of these songs, I'm thinking I, be, I you probably made the most from Miley, right? Because it was an international song. Yeah. And then I would imagine Lee was probably two. And that Lee song, that's a moneymaker for everybody. Except you got a Miley song that was in all formats. It's crazy. And all in countries, in movies. I know. Oh my goodness. I want to hear nuts. you do Mine with You. Uh, and there's Dirk singing. Let's see here. This is Dirk singing with you. So why'd you make a record? Because I play a lot of shows. Um, I, I get out and do a lot of private shows, kind of bluebird style with other writers. And there's so many times people would come up and ask me for a record. I mean, it just got to the point where, I was like, why don't I have a record? Why don't I have, I mean, is that 2005 record? That's it, you know? And my kid's going to hear that. That's going to be it. It had nothing to do with, like, artistic, like, vision necessarily. It's really just to have something in my hands that represents me at this age, at this time in my life. And I'll probably make another one. But for me, it's really songs that have been recorded. I don't have any, you know, desire to write an album for myself. You know, I don't really have something I want to say as an artist. You know, Yet. <laughs> Yet. With creators, you never know. You, you never can wake know. up tomorrow That's and go, true. you know what? I want to do a hip-hop I, I mean, Damn Country Music, when I wrote that um, song, that was the first time that I thought, <clears throat> maybe I'm going to make a dirt country record. You know, that, that inspires me. If I could write 10 more of those. So here's a question I have for you. When McGraw puts the record out, and this is the name of the record, too, don't you think... It should be a single because the record's named after it. Heartbreaker. 
I mean, that, that one right there is one that hurts, you know, because me and Carrie Barlow and Josh Thompson, when we wrote that song, we thought we'll never get higher. I mean, to be, to be honest, as a crafted song, I felt like that was more crafted than any of my other songs. Like, as far as like ringing the bell, that was for, for me ringing the bell. And I had to kind of, kind of <laughs> grieve that one. But and you, we thought, we kept thinking he was going to come with it. And we were told the, that he would come with it. what the record was named yeah. after. I would think that too. Yeah. Just if you're, okay, he's putting, my girl doing a project. He's named it after the song that yes. we wrote. Yes. And it's, that's a hard, I mean, I'm still like kind of getting past that, you know, but you just have to believe you're going to get another idea. You're going to get another song. You're going to ring the bell again. And every day I got to try to do that. You know, my friend says there's always going to be another mountain. There's always <laughs> You're always going to want to make it move. That's right. There's always going to be another yes. mountain. I'm always going to want to make it move. Always going to be. Jam. Okay, okay, how about this one? So, it's a song about a girl. Song about a girl. Yes. Who'd you write this with? Eric Pasley and Gordy Sampson. So much fun. We probably wrote it in an hour. I love this song. Love it. And I love and, him. And I'm part. Listen, yes, and I'm partial because he's one of my closest friends. Just love him. Best he's dude. so good. He's so good. Powerhouse. I get, I get so frustrated for him because I know, like he just and he gets frustrated. Frankly, we have had talks where he's like, "What? What? Yeah. What is it? Like, what? What, what am it, I supposed to do?" I'm, and the, and yeah. there is no answer. The, the thing is, there is no answer. I know. There's no right or wrong in creative. Mm-mm. There's what's works right now, what's not. Totally. But what's not might work tomorrow is the weird thing. All of a sudden, it that could be could perfect. Work. It could be the exact right I thing. I know. And so, because some people, I'm sure they come to you too, like, hey, how do you? When do I? What is the. There is no. There is no. Yeah. There's never a right answer. I know. There is one, one thing that I do believe, though, and I've just seen it now as I've been here so long. Don't go away. That's the only, that's the only thing I know. Because I promise you, me and Little Big Town got signed to Warner Chapel the same year, 1999. I saw them make records, change labels, change producers. They wouldn't go away. And they they just kept bringing music. And I've just seen that with writers. There's a writer right now that's killing it. She's been Kelly Archer. She she just kept, she's not going to quit. She just keeps bringing songs, keeps showing up at the party. And I do believe that if you don't go away, they will give you something. That's my motto. It's funny you say that. And I don't know if you know Carly Pierce at all. But um, so Carly's now, uh, I think she's in the 20s or something. But she's been, to to the world, she's new. Right. Because she is new. And I've got to know Carly a bit. She's opening up on my stand-up tour for the next two or three months. And so she's really good. She's so good. And she came in and we're talking. And she's like, I've been this shiny thing multiple times. Like first, I was 19. Hey, I'm big star. Nope, never yeah. mind. No, I'm not. Got a second shot. Hey, I'm big star. Nope, no, I'm not. She goes, the only thing that I did was just keep trying. That's it. She's like, and that's it. She goes, it, I think someone told her, it's like, if you just keep on, the city will f- eventually give it give back you to something. you. Give you something. Eventually. Yeah, it's like you'll get a consolation prize at least. Like, something will happen good. I mean, what you said is basically what she said. I mean, it's, I really believe that. I've just seen it too, too many times. What but, about this song yeah. here from the cartoon? The Blake song. Oh, Friends, yeah. That was really fun. It's really fun to get it's to from write. from the birds, right? The bir- from Angry Birds. <laughs> do you make any money from a cartoon movie song? Oh, yeah. That doesn't go on the radio? Like, you still, you, because, it, because it's in the movie? The fun part about that is you get paid up front, which is, we don't ever oh, get Oh, that's that. weird for a song. So yeah. you get a, a 
and Blake, of course, was so generous and and made it really fair for me. And and I, I was just sitting co-writing with someone else that the day that I got a text from him. And he said, "Hey, sis, can you write a song for me for this movie?" I mean, I was like out of nowhere, you know. I'm like, uh, guys, hang on one second. <laughs> I don't want to say Blake Shelton just texted me, but um, I, I called him. I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I had a lot, a lot of history doing this. And when I was at Disney, I wrote for so many franchises. Tinkerbell, Princess and the Frog. I mean, tons. Like, I was, you know, really... Where were you at Disney? In Nashville? In Nashville. Nashville. Mm-hmm. But I would go to L.A. and write for all their franchises. And I was... It was so pretty, they, to be honest, it's kind of easy compared to what I have to do every day, writing these crafted songs, to go out there and write. It was pretty... Um, it, was, it was fun, but not as fulfilling, obviously. So they'll pull you in and say, okay, Jesse, well, we went to Pinocchio. Yeah. So write a song, and here's the scene. Correct. It kind of gives you some railroad it does. tracks. And that's what he did. He was like, so these pigs and these birds are fighting. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, what are you talking about? And he, he got to see the movie, at least. But he's like, there's going to be this moment that I come out, there's this fight, the pigs and the birds, and I have to sing about us all getting along. And, I mean, literally, spring break, you know, I'm supposed to be on spring break with my kids. This is when you're happy you're married to another songwriter. But I have to, like, leave all the time because Blake's out on The Voice. He's calling me, like... What do you th- or texting me like, what do you think about this idea? And we're writing this. We only had a like, short window to write the song. And then we had to record it and send it to him. And then you wait and see if the producer even likes it. And thank God he did. And it was really neat, though, to have, at the time, four-year-olds, three-year-olds, that I get to take to a movie theater. Oh, I get to go to the premiere with Blake. And, I mean, there we are, you know, Hollywood, watching this song. So did they sit through the movie? They did. They, they loved it. It was really cool. Did they know? Did they know that you write that song? We're just starting to figure this out. I mean, my daughter definitely gets it now when she's put together. Like, okay, mom goes and writes songs, and then we hear them on the radio. It's still very surreal. I mean, we. I mean, if I hear and when I hear, please play when I, the way I talk because when we hear a song like that that's new that we haven't heard on the radio yet, it's like the whole family goes crazy because it's like. It's a big deal to us every time. That's how you eat. That's how I eat. And, and, yeah. and you know, with writers, you're the first one to create the product, and you're the last one to get paid. Yes. I mean... It's sad. And now it, we get paid so little. It, it sucks. It's bad. And it's and, and everybody's kind of sticking it to you from the streaming services. Mm-hmm. Hard, it's the Wild West still. And oh. there are no rules, so they're not breaking the rules. Right. Because there are no There's rules. There's no rules to break. Right, and so you know, and you can look at the percentages of everybody giving, but someone has got to make the rules, and that's mm-hmm. the hardest thing to do. They're not adjusting rules; they're not looking at something and going, "Hmm, we don't think this is working all the way." So let's. Fi-. There just aren't rules. Yeah, I know. We have to reinvent the wheel, and the wheel is being reinvented as you're reinventing the wheel. Yes, like streaming is happening. I it's mean, crazy. I spend as I, you know, the radio show gets five million downloads a month. Much less the millions of people that listen every week. So to me, you know, I'm cannibalizing myself on purpose. I mean, I do this. We get a million downloads a month, and it's like – I hope people listen to this but because this, this is the way it's all going, but there are no rules. And I'm getting paid, like, more as a backup singer on a record. No than way. I, yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's insane. The, now I've, like, I used to sing a lot of harmony, and I kind of quit doing it. Now I'm like – Singing on everyone's record. <laughs> because, is it because the money comes quicker? 
It's because in, um, when Spotify or whoever did the deals, they didn't necessarily do a great deal with songwriters and publishers, but they great deals for musicians, producers, and singers. So I'm getting great checks as a backup singer. So like a song like Drink On It, I'm probably getting more paid as a backup singer than I am as a songwriter. I'm, I'm guessing, but I bet. So you think close. it's kind of close to the fact when someone streams Drink On It, and I'm singing. That's me singing. I bet. I bet it's more. I bet I'm getting paid way that more. That is mind-blowing yeah. to me. It, and again, no, that's the thing. Everybody wants to get angry at everybody. But, because you can get mad at everybody. You can get mad at radio. You can get mad at... There are... There, nobody's breaking a rule, but nobody has made a rule. I know. And that's just as bad, if not worse. It's, it's but tough. technology's moved so fast... I know. That I can't it's, keep up. And, and this too, all the lawmakers are 70-year-old white men who don't have yep. any idea what technology really means. I know. I have to tell you a fun story. When I went to D.C. with Lee one time, the climb was out. It had been a, it had been a hit, but it was still really hot. And um, I walked into one of the congressmen's office, and the staffer was like, oh, you wrote the climb? And I was like, yeah. She goes, oh, did you see it last night on Glee? And I was like, no, I didn't. I was flying here. She goes, it's okay. You can watch it on YouTube. I said, exactly. That's exactly why I'm here. It was the perfect setup. Because in 2009, The Climb was the most watched song on YouTube. The most, you know, streamed. And do you know how much I got paid? I do not know. Is the answer zero? Literally zero. So, zero. Zero. YouTube doesn't... I mean, people can sing The Climb all day long on the, on YouTube. Right now, I could sing it. No one's going to ever tell me about it or pay Zero. me. Zero. Yeah. So what do you do? Like really, what, in your mind... You try to get singles on Yeah, but that shouldn't radio. be that's, how it but is. That's, or you write, for, you, know, you write for film and TV. You sing harmony. Um, how do you change this, though? That's a better question for Lee or someone like that. I, I mean... I would go crazy if I spent, you know, a lot of my energy trying to figure that. I have no idea. Don't um, you feel like the quality is going to go down though because people aren't focusing on yeah. the just the quantity of quality songs. Right. And everybody's just shooting for a quick single. I know. And some of the best songs in my life aren't songs I ever heard on the radio. I know. It was I would download a record, I would download a John Mayer record and hear Stop This Train and be like, That's that's not my favorite song. Yeah. Or but I would never be on the radio. I don't. I don't know what we're gonna do. I really don't. I mean, I, I, I fear what will happen to my occupation. Um, seriously, like I don't know like what kind of business it's gonna be for someone like me fifty years from now. It's already been. I mean, in the time that you've been here, you've seen it drastically reduced in the amount of people that just do it. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so few, and there's so few people like the people that are having success, or they're all have they're having so much success. Like it's just really hard. And, you know, we have to, you know, there's so much writing with artists now and so many camps and different ways that it's, it's just when you have a song on the radio, that's what, or you write a song like Damn Country Music or something that you really feel like you have a shot with, that's when it, why it hurts so bad. Because you know your shots are so few. What camp are you in? The Blake camp, obviously. Are you considered in the Blake camp, do you think? I would, I would say so. Yeah. But, um, I don't really have, I have friends, you know, we all came up together. I was at Dirks' showcase when he showcased for the label. I mean, these are people, Randall Lambert, we were signed together um, same time at Sony. So I don't know that I have camps. I just have friends, you know, but there's so many new people coming up that, you know, I've got a, so many people to meet. Um, I don't know if I have a camp. Are I'm you, kind are, of are you and Dirks still close? Yes. Does he send you pictures of his hawkers? 
right his now? what? His loogies? Because he's no, that's a guy. That's, that's a guy okay. thing. I know yeah. if it was I'm a guy. I'm sure he sends that to, to my husband, but They're dis- it's no. the most disgusting thing. No. I don't want to see. It's not a guy I, thing. No, it's a disgusting guy thing. I don't want to see that. That's a guy thing. He'd be like, "Hey, check this out." Yeah. And I'd be like, "All right, what's he gonna?" Boom. Oh yeah. It's his because he got his. Oh, he has throat. Let me talk about Blue Apron for one second. As we do this shot, I am my house, and in my house, I have Blue Apron, and I eat Blue Apron. I mean, it's not an apron. What it is, Blue Apron comes in a box. It's pre-portioned ingredients from food that you get online. You're like, I'd like to try that recipe. And then, boom, there's a recipe card, all the ingredients pre-portioned, and you make these awesome meals. BlueApron.com slash BobbyCast. BobbyCast, one word. And you'll get your first three meals for free with free shipping. BlueApron.com slash BobbyCast. Listen to my voice. Let me tell you a story here. For less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals, customized recipes each week based on preferences. And again, they have the recipe card, so for me it's a lifesaver because it's like a cookbook, but every time it's something different. Again, less than $10 per person per meal. I will say this again, blueapron.com slash bobbycast. Check out the week's menu. Just do that, blueapron.com slash bobbycast. Right now, your first three meals free with free shipping. Okay, so I want to play this Morgan Wallen song, which is climbing a bit. Yeah, we're seeing some tracks. It a bit like my daddy it's called The Way I Talk. Who wrote this? Me and Chase McGill and Ben Hayslip. When you write this song, do you, do you write it for someone like Morgan, or do you write it and then it gets pitched around? It gets pitched around. I mean, we obviously thought, gosh, we thought FGL, we thought, um, I mean, anyway, Luke, Jason... But a lot of it has to do timing, like who's looking right then. And Morgan needed a first single, and that's the magic word for me and for all of us. Is single. You ever? And I'm not gonna ask you names. But I'm gonna put you, but you ever say no to somebody? Uh, yeah. Like you have definitely. a song, and you're like, man, this, I, I really this is a treasure to me. Yeah. And X wants it, and you're like, I just don't think that's the right fit. Definitely, and that's why we have people like Rusty, our publisher, that can kind of help. You know, be, the buff, bad guy. Be, the, be the bad guy, be a buffer, because you know we have high hopes for these songs. Like we don't know when our next one's going to be written. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's all such a risk. That's the hardest part. It's a risky. You know, you don't know. So your husband writes. I, I, I've seen you guys play together. Yeah. And so let's sum it. His just a few of his songs. Well, his biggest, you know, song of the year, "Whiskey Lullaby," was it was song of the year in um, two thousand five. That's my favorite Brad Paisley song. And I tell him that. I'd be like, you know my favorite Brad Pitt song Brad is yours? He'd be like, what? Whiskey Love? I didn't write that. I said, I don't care. It's not my favorite song ever. (laughs) And so I had to walk by that song of the year, you know, um, award for years and look at it. And then I was like, yeah. So he wrote that. He wrote, Am I the Only One um, with Dirk Am I the Only One? Yeah. 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 And then uh, he also produced that Up on the Ridge Bluegrass record for Dirk's. And then he wrote Drink on It. He's just an incredible songwriter. And you guys write together okay? We do. We write We write really good together. Do you ever just, are you just at home on the couch? Like, hey, yes. What? Do you do talk shop? Yeah, that's that's tricky. I wonder if you guys deal with that. It's, it's hard because I know too much about his job. You know, he can't just have a bad day without me being, but you, but you just got, you know, this on hold or whatever. You know, it's, sometimes I have to take off my songwriter brain and just be, you know, wife and friend. It's hard. But having kids helps that a lot because we, I mean, we're in the trenches. We have three kids under eight years old. So we don't even have time to talk about it. It's like we're making someone's dinner or fixing something. You know, it's it's hectic in my house. You're right, though, about 
Because my girlfriend now, like, I know what she's doing, and she knows what I'm too much. Too much. And and it's like she's frustrated about something. I'm like, but but what about this? You just got yeah. booked for this huge thing. Like, stop. Exactly. And you know what? Some people should just be allowed for a little bit to be yes. upset about things. I know. I had to really learn that the hard way. It's like I haven't learned it yet. You, you need you're to kind learn. of teaching I'm, it to me right now. This is your therapy session. It helps. It just helps to pretend that like you're a banker for a minute and like you have no idea what she's talking about because all they really want to hear is you're amazing and this is gonna you're gonna kill it or just just support. You ever feel like though he gives you something you're like this is not that good? You, got, you, you ever tell him that? <laughs> oh, we both do. You know, I'm sure he's. You ever been really wrong about one? You're um, like, I don't know about this, and it ends up doing doing pretty good. I don't know. I mean, usually. Usually, you're right. Well, I, I think. I mean, I hear so many songs, but yeah, I'm sure he definitely hears songs that he's like, yeah, that's great. But <laughs> but um, I'm a huge fan of his. You know, we have a lot of respect for each other musically. How, you guys. We're both songwriters when you met. Yes. And I mean, he I mean, he he'd just written Whiskey Lullaby. I remember him playing from that for me in his first apartment and me thinking, oh, that's so cool. But like no one will ever record that. And then Brad Paisley put it on hold. And then Alison Krauss sang on it. And then they said it's going to be single. I mean, it's the craziest thing that's ever. That's one of my favorite country Double songs of all Double murder, time. suicide song on the radio. Yeah. Four minutes. I mean, it just broke. That's why, you know... To answer your question from earlier, you know, I could get in my head and try to force these songs to be something every day. But if I did that, I would miss out on I Drive Your Truck or Whiskey Lullaby type songs. So I try to let the song win in the day. If something wants to be written, I want to be there. So why is it that you want, because we're, how we officially met is we're on the ACM board together. Yes. And I've, I vowed I would never be on a board because I never want to be on the inside. Until I started to realize I could be on the inside and change the outside a little bit. A little Same. bit. So I, d- I dabble a little bit just so I can kind of dump the egg from the inside. Me too. So why why, why you? Why are we doing this? No, um, same. I think winning, you know, winning the ACM award and kind of being a part of that and realizing, you know, we have to – the questions you were asking earlier about how are we going to change this and what's the future for a songwriter and what's the future of our format, things like that. It's important. I'm in a place in my career where – I feel like I need to give back in different areas. Um, I've tried to mentor a couple of songwriters. Um, you know, I'm just in that place in my life where I want to make change, try to be a part of the change. So yeah, I'm with you. It's I, I feel like fish out of water though. Me too. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird because it's, we're walking we're into a wheel that's already been built. Yeah, and we're kind of <laughs> a square peg that's making. And we just yeah. get in the way. Like I, I really I'm feel just like, in the way. Because yeah. we joke, you and I joke about it. We go on these meetings. I'm like, I want to just like spit, do spitballs at you. And like, and we and do want to see change. Air, yeah, we, we but do, the, but we don't know what to do and how to do it. We don't know what to no. do. That's for sure. No. no. Oh man, this has been fun. So if, let me play this for you real quick. Here's a little okay. Pat, Patty Loveless. this one. Oh man, that's so fun. Me and Al Anderson. Gary Nicholson wrote this one of my first, you know, I probably wrote this in the first three years of living here. I love Patty Loveless. Getting a Patty Loveless cut at that time was huge for me. It would be huge for me right now. Trisha Yearwood, all those females. It, it had so to be to cool for. to have somebody that you like admired, regardless of yes. money, especially early on. Because there are two stages where it's cool. Early on and way late. <laughs> right. 
Because early on, you're looking for anything. And anything. If, and somebody that you admire, it <sighs> actually loveless. gives you that to keep going. Yes. And way late, it's like, well, I've done a lot of this stuff. Now it's cool for me to be able to yeah. do things with people that I admire. Totally. So the first time you heard that song, what did you think? Uh, I was blown away. I, rem- I remember hearing that on country radio around here, and it was just, man, just crazy. I mean, it's there's no way to ever express what it's like for a songwriter to hear your song on the radio. It's still... Still, I mean, when you guys play "Mine Would Be You," it's usually want to hear on the. It's like, uh, it's like the first time, or like when I get, I just got to go, you know, hear some some new things that have been cut, and it's like, it's like a a ride, you know, and you, it's a rush. You just want to ride again. Do you ever hear one that's cut, no names, and you're like, hmm, I don't really think that yeah. was as good as I hoped it would be. Definitely, that's got to be a little deflating, huh? It's very tough, you know, because. We we kind of hear how it should be, you know. That's why we do demos, you, you know, that process. So we write the song, and then we get in the studio with a bunch of amazing um, musicians, and we do a demonstration of it, which we call a demo. And then usually the artist takes that demo and does it pretty close to the demo, but obviously makes it even better. Because we only have like 20 minutes to cut these Small songs. budget, small time. Right. And they have like a full day, you know. So... It's just weird sometimes when they're like, maybe make it not as good as the demo. That can be a heartbreaker. But now with the songs that I'm having recorded, I mean, we're talking about the best of the best, incredible musicians, producers, singers. So I don't really deal with that a ton anymore. But yeah, it can be deflating. I'll play it one more. I, I was with Blake in LA and he was, I think it was his first time to play this. It was Save Your Shadow. Tried to break me My sweet Jesus won't forsake me When I'm in my Savior's shadow Where I'm supposed to be Tell me about this one. Yeah. This is a surreal day. Um, we we moved, me and my husband moved to a, a better house for our family and it was not really like that big of a step financially but it was just just moving and just we had a lot of weight on us you know as being just being parents being you know in the stage of our life and I remember I uh, we were literally moving and I beat the moving trucks to the house I had the first load of boxes and I'm unloading boxes and I hear ding ding you know from my phone and I had a lot of just I was in this new home by myself and it was Blake and he said hey sis I need you to listen to something and help me write it. And that, he said, I had a dream last night and I wrote this chorus in my, you know, in my dream. And he, you know, he was going through all that stuff with Miranda and I don't even think, I don't, I don't even know if the news was out yet, but I knew kind of what was going on. And I mean, I was wrecked. I mean, just imagine him singing that on your phone just by himself, not with a guitar, just singing that. And it sounded like old rugged cross or amazing grace or one of those classic gospel songs. And, I mean, never mind unpacking. I mean, JR walks in the door. I'm like, I mean, here we are again. Like, we have to write this right now. And um, Blake was just, we were all just, it was just very emotional for us, you know, to go there with him. And it meant a lot to him and it meant a lot to us that he shared it with us. And then that's us singing on it. Oh, it is. Yeah. And that's me me and JR and Blake, he flew here for us to do the demo, and that's what they ended up using, except we put like 25 strings. Really? Orchestra on it. Though the devil tried to break me, my sweet Jesus won't forsake. 
forsake me when I'm in my Savior's shadow where I'm supposed to be. It's good. Really good. So, that was an honor. It really was. Oh, but Jared, I meant to mention, he has 10 men out with Miranda. Miranda. So, yeah. um, I was trying to think of other songs he had. Um, yeah, and that was, I mean, Blake's been good to me. Do you guys get proud of each other? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, so, I get so proud. It's like, when he gets a cut, it's like, I get a cut, you know, um, and vice versa. And we've just been doing this for so long together that, I mean, almost 15 years. And so, it's crazy just to see our journey and the way our paths have changed and you know we're just still we just both feel lucky to still get to be doing it to be honest you know it's just really awesome what makes you happy right now <sighs> that's a great question I mean I'm so into writing songs the company that I'm at with the people I'm writing with uh, my Mini Cooper convertible makes me really happy <laughs> um, traveling makes me happy of course my kids watching them grow and just become people now like they you know we're out of the baby phase and they're just like little humans and have like real conversations um what else so i mean just like getting to live the dream i mean i'm i'm here you know i got i got to where i wanted to be and so that's now it's i call it like the gravy now now i just got to enjoy the the gravy part and and try not to blink and just enjoy it what frustrates you right now Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I think negativity, um, I try really hard to bring a lot of energy and positive, even where we're at in the format or where we're at, you know, with, with everything in the music business. I think that's such a turnoff now because it's like, I try to really stay engaged in the positivity. Um, so that's frustrating sometimes. Well, I appreciate coming over to the house. Like I'm a fan. I told you the first time I met you, I was, geek, I was geeking out a little bit. I was like, hey, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> I I'm, knew you I'm were. I'm new here. No. And I saw you play once, and I thought you were awesome. And I, I listen to you. I mean, I'm usually got a car full of kids. I can, I'm can. i hearing every other word, but I, I listen to you guys, and I love what all y'all do with Pimp and Joy, and there's so much great stuff y'all are doing. Well, thank you very much. Well, this has been a good one. Mike, do you have anything you want to ask her? Do you ever get like approached by... I wish I, I that is something I really want to do more of. Um, in the company that I'm with, we have like an ad side. I would love to do that. There's so much, like, it's not easy because you got to get to a place to get it. Mm-hmm. There's so much good money in corporate. Oh. Like, I just got hired on to do a corporate hosting thing, right? Just, I mean, crazy money. It's just, it, it's an, it's, I can't even say what it is. Right now, I would tell you off the air, but I, we haven't signed the contract yet. But it's a national corporate, and it's all their shareholders come in. It's not Walmart. I wish it were Walmart, because then I would be balling. <laughs> but it's a big one. And they're like, hey, I want you to come, write some jokes, host it. Be the- It's a real thing. And they're like, and I'm like, okay, I don't know. It's Thursday. And they're like, well, it's this many dollars. Oh, it's a Thursday. I'm in. <laughs> oh, in. Why, why did you say this is a Thursday? I love Thursdays. I love Thursdays. I'm the I funniest on Thursdays. Wow. <laughs> it's my best days. Wow. Well, th- thank you so much for thank coming you. in. Thank you. That's good. All right. So uh, that's episode number 63. Thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors, Express Pros and Blue Apron. <laughs> thank you so much. Because of our sponsors, we get to have songwriters in and, and hear the stories 
not just about behind the songs, but the stories about why the songs, the stories about why you do what you do, the struggles of the songwriter. Like, and then I think you really, I mean, I learned. Did you learn something? Yeah, I did learn something. Awesome. You're the coolest. All right, Jesse Alexander, uh, and we'll see you uh, next episode. All right, bye, everybody.